0: Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio with me, Joe Moffat. Um, for those of you who are new to our show, uh, a little bit about Engage for Success. We are a not-for-profit movement, the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. And we're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country, as well as our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. If you visit our website at engageforsuccess.org, you can learn more. And you can also sign up there for our weekly newsletter, which will keep you up to date with events, uh, what's going on in the movement, and also um, share archives of this weekly radio show. So I'm Jo Moffitt. Um, I'm one of the regular hosts um, of Engage Engage for Success Radio. And along with everyone who's involved in the movement, we are all volunteers. So we all have day jobs. And my day job is that I am managing director and founder of Woodreed. And Woodreed is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques, and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, uh, high-performing cultures of engaged employees. Um, So today's show, which is number 506, uh, amazingly, um, is going to be talking about future-proofing engagement strategies. And I'm very pleased to welcome, uh, as our guest this week, to help us sort of navigate and discuss that topic, uh, very pleased to welcome Drew Munn. Drew is a strategy partner at Gallagher's, and he'll tell us a little bit more about that in a moment. But I'm sure... Listeners will know Gallagher's as one of the world's leading employee experience consultancies. Um, Drew has been with them. He was just telling me before we came on air uh, for over a decade now, um, and uh, I'm sure in a moment we'll, we'll tell us a little bit about the journey he's been on um, both prior to and, and during his time with Gallagher's. And of course, Gallagher's are a, a long-time supporter of Engage for Success. Um, Francis Goss um, has been involved with the movement since really since day one and he sits alongside me on our advisory board. So, um, long-standing relationships there. So, today, um, we're going to be talking, as I say, about future-proofing engagement strategies and um, inevitably that's going to take us down the road of talking about AI, something that is really transforming not only how we communicate, but also the day-to-day world of the audiences with whom we are trying to communicate and the implications of that on how we think about engagement, um, how we maybe have to change our approach to engagement, you know, is AI the magic bullet, um, the solution we've all been waiting for, um, or is it simply another part of our armory and something that will we'll mean we've got to change the way we think about things. Um, so lots to discuss. Um, so welcome to the show, Drew. Um, lovely to have you with
1: us. Thank you, Jess. Lovely to be with you today and chat about something that's really, really interesting.
0: And, and, and from what I can gather, very close to your heart. So, um, and, and I think, I think um, this is certainly the first time that I've talked about this on the radio show uh, in terms of this specific topic. Um, I'm not sure whether any of my other hosts have to date, but I think this could be, could be an early foray into the world of AI. So um, we're looking forward to you helping to navigate that for us, Drew. So, but before we do that, tell us a little bit about you. Um, what's your background? Where, where have you come from? What do you do at Gallagher's?
1: So, yeah, you mentioned I've been uh, around Gallagher for a decade, and I traditionally come from a software and data management background, so uh-huh. rolling out enterprise-level applications, both in terms of the technology that sits underneath them, and for a number of years uh, Gallagher, I was the digital director, so creating and, and deploying those solutions, but also then thinking about actually what is the human impact of them. Mm-hmm. So, it's great that As we saw through COVID, so many new applications, things like Teams and Zoom and and video conferencing as a whole concept was really pushed to the forefront. And that's all Mm -hmm. powered by software, but it's all there to enable interaction. And if you're finding that actually rolling things out is Breaking stuff or causing people to spend more time talking to IT or not doing what they want to do. To it, it takes away from all of that engagement perspective, even though the whole purpose was as a communication tool. Mm-hmm. So my mm-hmm. background really is then making sure that we can use the tools that are, are in place, find new tools and, and new ways of using them to actually drive whatever that goal is uh, at the centre, whether that's. Helping with decision-making, supporting with making sure people feel connected to their peers or, or to a business and Working out how we can prove that on an ongoing basis rather than just hoping for the best and, and throwing things out there right. So obviously right. a big part of that is engagement and, and how people are are engaging with the the solutions that we put in place
0: Yes, okay uh, Absolutely, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. So so if we start with if we take that as our start point engagement, you know how How is that? um, How do we future proof it? Well, we need to sort of understand a little bit about where we are now in terms of how we think about engagement um, and whether the way in which we think about engagement is changing because of what technology can do for us. So as a former digital director at Gallagher's, as you've described, and and now strategy partner, how, how do you think about engagement, Drew? How have you seen it? How has your thinking about engagement perhaps changed over the last 10 years and, and how do you see it continuing to change?
1: So it's been really interesting seeing the development of what has always traditionally been like a, a very intangible topic where as communicators and as business professionals, we we all know or think we know just in our hearts what engagement is. And you could point to an employee and go, yeah, they're engaged or no, they're not really engaged. And then as we brought things like corporate email that we could track and intranets that had analytics, when you start to look at how Google Analytics and things were rolled into the way that we do general interactions within business, it suddenly became a topic that everyone needed to report for. So engagement was something you reported back up, and it was based on the number of clicks your emails had for internal comms. It was based on the number of people leaving um, and joining the company from HR. So it all very quickly went from this intangible thing to just quantitative data. So mm-hmm. how can we make sure that there's return on investment from all of this communication effort? We have to prove they're engaged. we prove they're engaged by actually seeing how many people are reading our messages. And if I'm honest, while I love data and I collect as much as is possible, I think that that's entirely the wrong way to look at engagement mm-hmm. because it doesn't take into account any of the human factors. So, a great example email is is a, a terrible tool for actually working out whether or not people understand what you're telling them. Case scenario is if someone's read an email and maybe clicked on a link in it, but if you're trying to actually work out whether they engaged with the content in that email, whether they took the action you wanted them to based off the back of it, you can't track any of that in the way traditionally we would look at analytics, but it's almost missing from from that scope. So I like to take a bit of a, a step backwards and, and ask, if we're asking what is engagement, what is an engaged employee, and does that have to be a, a positive relationship? And I think that that's the biggest flaw that we've ended up with is, we assume to be engaged means you are positively involved with your company from day one to the the day you exit business and so we're almost trying to track employee happiness which isn't the same as engagement and most engaged employees might could and to a certain extent should be the people who are loudest so people who are engaging with channels in perhaps the wrong way so not reading that email but still doing what you wanted them to do because their manager told them that actually it's a value to them so trying to move away from tracking that engagement means you read all the emails you know what the company vision is you can explain what you do and why it plays into it and instead moving into a world of engagement means you actively work with the company and all of the different channels within a company to come to a, a almost a symbiotic relationship where you get what you need as an employee and the company gets what the company needs. See all of that's far less trackable and far less valuable to, to uh, a C-suite report and the solution of hey loads of people read our email. So it, it, it's kind of taking some time to work out how we can transform that definition.
0: Mm. It's about understanding engagement in a a richer, greater depth rather than simply a one-dimensional quantitative measure measure on a dashboard, isn't it, really?
1: Exactly. And and some of those might be almost uh, the opposite of each other. So an email that no one reads might be the perfect email because they didn't need to read it because they'd actually found out about all that information through another source.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. Um, absolutely yeah no i i i take your point so and and it's interesting what you were talking about with regards to uh, you know recent recent years you know sort of team zoom hybrid working uh, int- intranet, you know all, all of these things and of course um you know one of the biggest things that has just ballooned in recent years has been the sort of plethora of um employee apps and mobile app solutions and the big the never-ending question how do you communicate with uh, remote workforces frontline workforces operational workforces who are not stuck at their computers all day and um, and of course all of that is underpinned by tech as 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 you say Um, so where does when you want when you think about things like ai are you thinking about ai drew in terms of enhancing and, and improving those sorts of engagement opportunities with people? Or are you thinking of them, are you thinking about how AI can perhaps better help the manager brief their team so that that, that team doesn't have to read that email? You know, to take the analogy you've just
1: I think made. it's a, a really difficult question to answer accurately. But mm-hmm. if you look at how, especially Remote workforces and, and businesses that are made up of far more diverse populations than than pure white-collar business All of these tools and technologies and platforms that we've put in over the years, they're not Channels in and of themselves. They are channels there because they're trying to replace something that we can't quite do So you have uh, a mobile social communication channel because there isn't a water cooler for everybody to talk around Mm -hmm. and so they're almost compromises in and of themselves and they're not there because it's necessarily the best solution it's just we've had to try and find a good way to replace something that that we've already lost so Mm -hmm. covid and and everyone work from home
0: just to interrupt you a minute there um if we go back to your quantitative and measurement thing that we were talking about at the start nobody was ever able to measure the impact around the water cooler in any kind of quantitative way were they Um, No,
1: and uh, Exactly and most people there if you if you think back to those days how many conversations around the water cooler Could quite easily fall into Fairly cynical discussions about the company. It wasn't all positive company discussion. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. a a bit having a, a, a An opportunity and a space to vent about things you disagreed with but the moment that's all moved into an online world where you're on an all teams call and the the chat box is full of people making slightly snide remarks, suddenly that's a problem and your engagement's down. But it's just their new outlet for, for that same communication. Mm, so it's yeah. really, uh, as you say, finding a way to forget all of the fact that tech should be there to do a specific job and, and ultimately get a specific message across and instead mm. look at if it was just a way to help people get that message, is there now a better way to help people get that message that doesn't mean reading an email? And so yeah. it is finding that that balance where sometimes, yeah, AI means that we can provide better, more valuable content to the right people to pass on in the, the right and effective way. And sometimes it might mean we add new channels and, mm-hmm. and take old channels away. But it mm-hmm. isn't, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It isn't just about saying, okay, great, it's is there purely to make the channels we have more efficient. It's also then to think about: are those channels the right channels in the mix now? Okay,
0: so let's. I want to I want to move on um, really to 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 talk about how people listening, whether they're HR practitioners or pri- primarily, I think probably those comms practitioners or HR practitioners with comms um, in their in their remit, which is often often the case. Um, can can apply and think about using AI to help improve engagement. But before we do that, um, can you just give us a a quick potted uh, explanation um, for anyone who's been living under a stone for the last six months? What, What do we mean by AI? And why does it seem to be just everywhere at the moment?
1: So, AI is this huge topic, um, and it, it's not Skynet or HAL or anything like that, that people immediately go to this, this thing that's a human intelligence. I can't remember where I first heard it, but I really like the concept of calling it applied statistics. Effectively, it's just a way we found to do math really, really well, and let a computer do that math to work out patterns in things. And so... That originally started with things like trying to play chess and then play more complex games like Go and and like work within those rule sets. But it still never really touched on the rule sets of the real world. Because if, if you compare like a game of chess to having a conversation with someone, you might find it easy to have a conversation. But that's because of decades of experience on your part, learning from everyone around you exactly what the rules are. We never really got that far until kind of last year, where it suddenly, this little company called OpenAI suddenly started getting fairly good at what is called token prediction. So doing that massive amount of math to work out what the next word in the sentence is. And that's what ChatGPT is. It is just guessing the next word in a sentence, effectively. So when you type in your question or, or ask it to write you an email or something, it reads what you've written and then just guesses what next word should be and then does it again and again and again and again to write you your email. So it's really, really smart and uses an incredible amount of data. But it's just maths, effectively, behind the scenes. And as soon as we got that maths model big enough to... Emulate element of real life It exploded so everybody suddenly saw hey, I can use this to do amazing things in in new and different ways and I think probably the the biggest change in how it works is the fact that Two years ago if you wanted to use AI in whatever form that was you used complex software You probably had to write some code and then you could get AI to do what you wanted AI to do now we're using AI to control that software. So we're using a simple chat interface to say to ChatGPT, write me an email. How do I do this in Excel? How do I do that? And so it's kind of swapped around. And now it's that layer that sits over top. Microsoft have what they call Copilot. Google have what they call Duet, which are those concepts that AI just sits alongside you and helps you do your job better. And yeah. It's therefore just part of everyday life, effectively. Right.
0: So I, I could have, I mean, for, for uh, illustrate the point's sake, I, and I didn't do this, I hasten to add, but I could have um, put into chat GPT, um, what questions could I ask a radio show guest to talk about the topic of future-proofing engagement strategies? And instantly, for those who haven't tried these, these tools or almost almost before I finish typing it, it begins to give me answers, and uh, you can tell it to do it in bullet points you can tell it to, you could even tell it to rewrite them in the right tone of voice for your organization if you tell it what tone of voice for your organization would be so um, and but as I say, I did not do that, um, but I could have done had I wanted to so okay, thanks for the explanation, drew so. Moving on then, how how can our listeners think about using AI to help them create more engaging experiences for their people?
1: You touched just there on what I think is possibly the, the most interesting um, first point that communicators jump to, which is, hey, I can use this to write things for me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of immediately you go into, I can produce so much content so much faster and I don't need a professional copywriter. I can just use what I've got before to prove what it should look like and it will do all the work for me. Brilliant. Off the blocks, everyone starts doing it. That's not necessarily its biggest benefit. Um, It's obviously quite a big one and and there are some slight issues, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later as to how you, you end up using it. But yeah. ultimately, the the solution underneath ChatGPT and, and other similar tools is because it's this huge model that's read a lot of content and, and seen a lot of information out there on, on the web. It, its main benefit is its ability to reflect all of that back on you. So you can ask it for things that prove a point to you you can ask it to write something in a, a particularly emotive style mm-hmm. like a, an email and reword it to be positive rather than negatively framed and watch it find all the best tips and tricks in the book from all the best copywriters and all the best authors that it's ever written and pull together something that distills all that knowledge into into one answer which takes obviously a huge amount of uh, of effort off of you as a communicator, because you're not having to do all of that yourself manually, mm. and speed up that entire process. But realistically, when I get to the heart of it, and I, I ask what a communicator is, I think the communicator's goal is to make sure that the audience understands information, and a big part of that is. That feedback process as well when a when the audience doesn't understand being able to respond to it and and almost build up that conversation element and If you look at something like generative AI, so chat GPT and things like that the reason they got so Incredibly like widespread so quickly is because they used that chat interface There was a version of chat GPT. Well, actually there were three versions of chat GPT before they added the word chat before it that wasn't a chat style interface, but now it's in that format. If you ask it for something and it produces you a wonderfully written email, for instance, you can then go, could you write that again, but make it more formal, make it more casual, whatever. And it allows that feed process. So it's acting like a communicator. It's taking your feedback. It's rewording what you're doing and, and it's moving on to, to try and improve its outputs as a communicator we can learn a lot from that in and use it in a lot of different situations whether technically or just to support us to make sure that our job is to do a very similar thing for for our audiences make sure there are channels in place that they can respond back ask additional questions delve deeper and deeper into that information rather than keeping it at that top level where we're just sending out that one email if we can draft five or six responses to the most common questions as quickly as we would have written that original email, we're always going to be ready there for, for that next step and keeping that conversation going.
0: So what, what you're basically saying then, Drew, is in terms of productivity and the ability, the enab- enabling a comms practitioner to, whilst, whilst they might know in their heart of hearts that actually they should tailor this piece of comms to this sort of audience and maybe nuance it to that audience and adjust the bit in the middle for the other audience and so on and so forth. They're kind of constantly under pressure. We know, don't we, from the from the fabulous reports and state of the state of internal comms reports that you guys at Gallagher do every year that one thing... The the two key things that internal comms practitioners are always short of is time and budget. So while in their hearts they may know they need to do this, they often can't, and they often have to just produce a single version of something. Uh, Do you see one of the really big advantages of AI then, the fact that it it would enable me as a practitioner to, to be able to produce that range of solutions to better meet a variety of
1: audiences' differing needs? Yeah, exactly. And I think as soon as you run up against the the question of as a communicator, what aren't you doing? Because you don't have the time or the money. And 90% of those things are things that AI can help you with, whether that is producing all that personalized content or whether that is being around to answer questions, so AI-powered chatbots that will answer the questions for you on your behalf, or mm-hmm. making sure that you're running personalization, finding out the most optimal times to send out an email, things like that, mm. ChatGPT mm-hmm. can help with most of those problems. Okay, so
0: so do you think that the skill set that comms people are going to need to hone and develop are going to change as a result of this? Or is it, are they still going to be needing the same skills, it's just that they're now able to keep more plates spinning and do more things better?
1: I think it's it's a bit like I always say about HR in general as a, as a function. HR are people, people who are stuck behind process. Communicators are people, people who are stuck behind tools. Mm-hmm. And 100% AI is the thing which helps release you from those tools. So uh, taking a, a message well written perfectly on brand message and using ai to then turn that into a message that is designed for teams a message that's designed for email a message that's designed for internet written in the way that will engage across those different channels all of those kind of things where you in in your head know you could do but would have to take time learning each of those t- channels to, to develop that yourself and the other element in there that i think is a bit more of a new skill and um, that will stick around for a a good while is the fact that it changes what factuality means. So you can't ask ChatGPT, for instance, to write you an email and assume it's going to write a perfectly true email because of the way it's just working out what it thinks the next word should be. There are going to be times when it gets it wrong and um, it's often the case, I remember fairly regularly um, when it first launched, that you get whole news articles about the fact that it got one fact wrong. But that's now just kind of normal day life. You expect to have to read this content and then check it for factual correctness before sending it out to, to your audience. And okay. that's, a, I think, a slightly new skill because as communicators, we're kind of used to our inputs all being accurate.
0: Mm. I was going to say that sounds like one of the risks, one of the biggest risks that we we might fall into the trap of thinking. So if we 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 would expect if we've briefed somebody to write something or we've asked somebody to go away and research something and write some a of it for us, we don't we don't expect a human to give us something back which is factually incorrect. Gen- generally speaking, we'd expect the person we've briefed to get that accurate albeit maybe stylistically not quite there but you know it's it's accurate so this is actually being a little bit more having a little bit more of the kind of critical eye on things and actually instead of just assuming that something's right because it's in front of you on your computer screen actually take your start point being there's probably going to be some stuff wrong in here and i actually need to look for that and make sure it's not there
1: Exactly. Uh, it's technically called hallucination. I like to call it being confidently wrong. It's very hard to tell the difference between something that an AI has written that's actually accurate and mm. something that isn't accurate because it doesn't dither around. It just goes ahead and says today is Tuesday. We know it's, <laughs> it's not very Tuesday. It's very assertive. We'll it yeah. anyway. Interesting.
0: I mean, that's uh, that's mentally, psychologically, uh, quite a quite a step
1: change for most of us, isn't it? Hugely. And it's going to be the same for audiences as well. The only difference being we're having this conversation and and most of our audience aren't. So they're not going through that same level of thinking. They're not going, oh, I'm going to have to change the way I review the content that I'm reading. So Mm -hmm. they're going to read 100 messages, maybe two a day from us. And the other 98 could be coming from colleagues who are using AI to write um, messages. I know it's it's used fairly regularly within businesses for interpersonal communication already and those people aren't necessarily having these same conversations. So we don't know all of the communication that doesn't touch us in this distributed world and a lot of that could be very wrong and we're not necessarily educating our our employees to understand in the same way that we're educating ourselves. So The double-edged sword, we need to get really good at it and then somehow we need to help our our audience get good at it as well.
0: Yes, so you're not, you you wouldn't want to be in a world where people say you must, I mean, in a corporate environment, for example, no, we're going to ban the use of AI. You must not use it. It is too dangerous that you might put something out that's factually incorrect. Rather, we need to, as with everything new, actually better train people to, maximize the values in these things, understand the pitfalls, and um,
1: kind of head those off at the pass, really. Exactly. And getting people into the the habit of checking their sources and that kind of thing isn't Mm. just valuable to us from a a perspective of making sure that the content we're putting out is accurate and understood. It's Mm. helping them be better people, because this isn't just stuff that's happening inside companies. The amount of Potential for things like fake news to explode, for election interference to be something that Russia had to do. Now I could do at home in my bed. It's it's mm. helping them be better people, which in turn, obviously, is is more valuable for us as as employers to to know that they're engaging with all communication effectively. Yes, yes.
0: We've only got a minute left. Um, it's. it's flown by because this is a fascinating topic. I think we're going to need to come back to it in the future. But um, just to wrap up, Drew, very, very quickly, if there was kind of one thing that you would like listeners to take away from this very much entry-level conversation about AI, um, what would it be? Go away and have a play and and bear in mind what?
1: Definitely. It's about playing with it, understanding its limitations and, and building from them. Instead of building those barriers around them. So it's, it's, as you said, not about saying, don't use this, just Mm -hmm. putting that moratorium across. It's about saying, let's grow something that that really works well. And the only way you're going to do that is by experimenting in a safe environment.
0: Lovely. Thank you. Um, Drew Munn, Strategy Partner at Gallagher, thank you very much for joining with us. And um, I think we need to get you back for another another go at this to take it on to the next step. But to start with, that's been fabulous. Thank you. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening to Engage for Success Radio. Don't forget, you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time. You can find them all at engageforsuccess.org. And if you want to get involved in the movement, do get in touch there as well. And don't forget, September the 15th, um, our next uh, online event where we're going to be looking at the first enabler of employee engagement. Uh, Full details um, on our website, um, in our weekly newsletter or at Eventbrite. Um, So do please um, seek it out. And thank you very much again, Drew, for joining us. Uh, Thank you and goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.